Numbers, the 13th chapter. Verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I gave unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send men, everyone a ruler among them. And then if you would, I want you to go to verse uh, 30. Verse 30. So he sent out the spies, and then in verse 30 they've returned. And Caleb, one of the twelve, stealed the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up its inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in their sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I just pray right now, I know that you are going to do great and mighty things as we surrender our will and our desires over to you, Lord God. And I believe that you have a purpose and a, and a reason that you have been allowing this message to be, to be just, just pouring out over my life and over, over me, Lord God, and just speaking over and over and over to me. And I believe that you can pour that out over this congregation, over every single person in this house, Lord God, that you can begin to give them a word of knowledge and understanding that you are the Messiah, that you are the Christ, that you are God, and there is nothing too hard for you. There is nothing that is impossible with you. And I believe that that same Spirit that raised up Christ Jesus from the grave lives and dwells inside of us today if we've surrendered our life to you. And so I'm just believing right now, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would begin to quicken our spirit. Allow us to hear your word. I pray that no flesh would be glorified in this house, but that your spirit would receive all the glory, that, Lord, I would decrease and you would increase. I'm not here for a show. I'm not here to put on a demonstration, but I am here under the power and anointing of Jesus Christ to proclaim a word that I know you desire to speak to this church. And so I'm just asking, Father, right now that you would begin to move over us, heart and soul and mind in every way, and prepare us, Lord, in a in a way we've never thought possible. Lord God, that you would put in us a spirit like Caleb, that you would speak to us like you did in Caleb. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, I heard a story about a a monk went to a monastery. And at this particular monastery that he went to, they had a vow of silence. And every three years, you could say two words. Every three years, you got to say two words. So as he entered in, three years later, he's been there. And he says, bad bed. That's it. Three years later, he comes back. Bad food. Three years later, nine years, no TV. Can I get a witness? No. Uh, <laughs> no. Finally, after 12 years with only those, those eight, uh, what, uh, uh, six words. Yeah, boy, I can't even count. I'm a math teacher too. Man, I'm in trouble. He comes back this time and he's got his his robe and his sandals in his hand, and he goes over to Brother Superior and hands his stuff to him, and he says, I quit. <laughs> oh, Brother Superior looks back at him and says, 
it's no wonder you've done nothing but complain since you got here. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know what? Life, the Bible says life and death is in the power of the tongue. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. You know, it even talks about how our speech and, and how we ought to, to lift each other up. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs 21, 23, it says, Those who guard their mouth and their tongue keep themselves from calamity. Wow, what a, what a powerful thing we have. And man, I'll tell you what, I could fill the whole afternoon with scriptures in the Bible that talk about how we're to guard our eyes, guard our mouths, guard our speech, guard what we say, guard what comes in, but guard what goes out. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, this is not an area that I have total control over. But I will say, James says, boy, uh, you know, someone who's religious and doesn't bridle his own tongue, they're just fooling themselves. That's my paraphrase. But anyways, he said, you're just fooling yourselves. And so God wants us to watch those negative things that are coming in and going out. And if we don't, here's the result. Here's the result. What happens when we don't do that? It, it causes us to grow bitter, negative, fear, uh, anger, remorse, regret. All those things begin to rise up inside of us and build up inside of us. And before long, we can, be, we can literally just be just, just so damaged by negativity and by things. Of the, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, you, you got... Uh, you know, the different, I can't even remember the guy, the Crystal Cathedral and all, you know, positive thinking and all that stuff. I'll be honest with you, you can think positive all day long, but if it's not backed by the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ, then it is nothing, it's worthless. Your positive thinking won't get you anywhere. Even if you could somehow imagine that I could confess things and it's going to make me be healthier, well, if all you've got in this life is the hope of this life, then you're of all, all people most miserable. My hope is in Him. My hope is in Jesus Christ. But I will tell you this, that I know that, that God has called me to say, man, I want to live a life that, that confesses the Word of God and believes it in my heart. Because You know, the Bible says that uh, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So I want to confess the Word of God. I want it to saturate my life. And I want to believe it. I want to stand on the Word of God. I want to be able to know what He's saying to me, and I want to be able to say, okay, if God said it, then I believe it. Amen? As they say, if God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Well, I believe God's Word. You know, sometimes God's Word, I look at it, and it just seems contrary to what I want. Anybody been there? Anybody had a, had a time where God's Word was, was something that was... was uh, you read it and you knew God was speaking to you, but you just said no. You know, it's funny how sometimes uh, you know He says have childlike faith. Well, sometimes we just have we just like a child. You know, we, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go what you're saying. I don't want to do what you're telling me to do. But you know what? You will never find joy until you've surrendered to God in the fullest and said, God, everything I just surrender to you. I give my life. I give my myself over to you. Well. In Numbers, the 13th chapter, we have an interesting situation. The, the people of Israel have been pulled out of Egypt. They, God has delivered them in a great and powerful way. And we're just a few days from, from crossing over the river. They, it's just been a few weeks since they've seen all these miracles and signs of God done before Pharaoh and their army and everything that God has done. And here they are, they're standing uh, at the threshold of the promised land, ready to be able to enter in and receive the promise of God. And Moses sends out 12 spies into the land, and they come back with their report. Now, here's what's interesting to note. I want you to know that these are the children of promise. For 400 years, they've been in captivity, but God had given a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, that the, the where your feet land, where your feet trod, where everywhere you walk, I have given you this land. It belongs to you. And then before they, they bury Joseph, before they go, Joseph makes a promise. He says, hey, I want, you to, I want you to bury my bones. I want you to keep them over here because when you come out of Egypt, now he's saying this 400 years early, Joseph, in faith, says you're going to carry my bones into the promised land. 
And they were going to do it. Joshua was going to carry the bones of Joseph over into the promised land. But that's the kind of faith that Joseph had that even though he wouldn't see it with his physical eyes, he knew that there was a promise given and what God had promised, he was not going to fail. God was not slack concerning his promise. Even though we may look at it and say, boy, the, the, you know, God's not moving on my timeline. God's not moving fast enough. But Joseph had eyes of faith to see that he was going to be brought through. And sure enough, Joseph would be buried there in Canaan land. He would be buried there where the promise would be fulfilled. Now we see the whole picture. We see where they're at. But the tribe of Israel, you know, these Israelites, this, this huge nation that had come out of Egypt is now there with Moses and they're stiff-necked people and they're, 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 they're basically moaning, griping, complaining all the time. Amen? I don't know about you, but I, sometimes I get a little bit that way too. I start, you know, oh man, I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't, you know, this doesn't suit my fancy. And this, I wish this was this way, or I wish this was this way. But you know what? The funny thing is, is that's exactly what they're doing. That they don't, well, we don't have no bread. If only we were in Egypt, we could have leeks and garlic and onion, blah 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 blah. And then finally, he gives them some some manna from heaven. He gives them literally angel food, right? And and they get uh, they get manna from heaven, but that's not enough. You know, manna wasn't supposed to sustain them for forty years. It was supposed to sustain them for a few, maybe weeks or so, until they got over into the promise. But for 40 years, they're going to eat manna in the wilderness. For 40 years, they're going to eat the same meal, right? Manna and quail. God sending them meat to eat. He sending them bread. Now, I'm sure it was pretty good, but here they are, moaning, complaining, griping, all worrying. Moses is about to see the promised land. I can see them getting excited about what God's going to do. And here he sends out these 12, 12 spies. Go look at the land that God has already promised to give us. Tell us, is it good? Is it, does it, does it, is it a land flowing with milk and honey? Are the grapes big? Are they, what, what all, you know, tell us everything about it. What are the people? Are they weak or small or big or large? What, what do they look like? And, and tell us everything about it. And they come back and Caleb speaks out. I mean, they're, they're matter of fact, uh, one of the interesting passages in this in this. Uh, word that they give is nevertheless in verse 28. See, it says that these spies, ten of them anyway, as they're being questioned, what it says is it says, uh, and they told him and said, we came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Now, they had a cluster of grapes that was so huge they had to carry it on a pole between two people. That's pretty big grapes, right? Could you imagine? Grab you a grape. You know, just grab one grape. You know, some of y'all thinking, yeah, you know, could you imagine juicy, grab, you know, all over your face, you know. It'd be so good, you know, you know, drinking the juice out of it. This huge, I don't know, was it a green grape or, a, or, a, or a, just a purple grape or, or maybe it was seedless. I don't know. Maybe the seeds were, you know, no, I don't think it was seedless because, you know. Yeah, it wasn't seedless. Anyway, oh, praise the Lord. But here they are. They are tasting the fruit of the promised land. God's been preparing it for them. God's been building them houses they didn't build. He's been building them cities they didn't have to construct. He's even got them walls they didn't have to put together. God has been preparing a land for him. And uh, it's already all they got to do is walk in. They don't, they don't have to do it. God's going to do it. If they'll just trust in him, he's going to take care of the battle for them. And sure enough, as Joshua goes in to fight, that's exactly what happens. As they trust him, they win the victory. And when they don't, like in the battle of Ai, when they, when they choose not to pray, when they choose not to seek God, when they choose to have sin in the house, then guess what? They go in and they get beat bad. All they had to do was just trust in the Lord. As the proverb says, 3 and 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. So here they are. They're in this promised land, or they're going to enter into the promised land. They're right there, but then the report comes. Nevertheless. So he tells them all the fruit and all the milk, but then there's that little word, nevertheless. I've always been told, you know, but, you know, you say, but this. So you come up to someone, any of y'all ever feel this way? Someone says, Man, I just, you know, love this, 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 this. I'm so excited about this, 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 this. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's huge. Yeah, or nevertheless, 
or however, whichever word comes at you, you know what's coming next, right? And it ain't positive. You know, I mean, anybody, now, does, it, does anyone talk that way? I mean, maybe you do. Maybe you say, however, I want to tell you something even greater. I mean, does that happen very often? Not usually. Usually, if you hear that, however, nevertheless, but you know what's coming afterward, and it is not good. Here comes the negative. Here comes the negative. The people are strong, and they dwell in a land. The cities are walled. They're very great. Mm. And the sons of Anak are there. Sons of Anak were from Genesis chapter 6. If you look that up, it's uh, a word in the Hebrew called Nephilim. It meant the fallen ones. As a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 6, it says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them whoever they pleased, and they, they had these giants. They had these giants in the land. And you, you can believe whatever you want to believe. I actually believe it's exactly like it says it is. But some people, that just weirds them out, and they, they have all these uh, theories you learn in, in uh, college, you know, and uh, Bible school that tell you what it was, and, you know, it was just this, and it was just Cain's offspring, blah, 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 blah. And uh, you can believe that if you want to. I don't. I, I personally believe it was exactly what it said it was. I believe there were giants in the land. It doesn't sound too strange in our day and age because we actually have genetic mutations as well. We're actually experimenting with all kinds of genetic, uh, you know, morphing and all kinds of weird stuff. And, you know, they've even said now we're going to have the first, I think I told you about this a couple weeks ago, first designer baby has already been, uh, been uh, put inside a mother's womb. They've actually picked out seven different genes, uh, you know, specific parts of genes from seven different men, put them all together, and they're, they're actually uh, get, got a baby that's growing inside of a mother's womb right now that they're, you know, picked out all the perfect things they want. And so very interesting that they're doing all this weird stuff. I'll just be honest with you. It's, you look at it and you think, um, we're, we're trying to play God. We're trying to, to really we're not. Remember what I said, Jesus, Jesus, God, when he spoke, he just spoke with the word of his mouth. When he created you and I, he, he, just, he just took up some, some clay and just started forming us and breathed life into us. Well, those are some elements that we don't, we don't have, we don't possess. All we really do is manipulate what God's already created. But we think to ourselves, look at us, we've become gods. I'm saying this generically, obviously. I know we don't believe that, but I'm just saying, just generically in the science world and in different places... Uh, they tend to, look at us. We're just like God because we can create. Well, they didn't, you know what kind of foolish thing that is? They didn't create anything. They took what was already there and they just morphed it and messed with it and, tried, and, and just messed it around and did something. It's like saying that you built something out of Legos. Look what I created. Well, you know. Those building blocks, you didn't make those building blocks, you know. You, you had to use them. All you really did was just manipulate them a different way. So I can take those same Legos and manipulate them another way and make something else, right? But I didn't create them. I didn't actually form them. And so, uh, and if you want to take it even further, you, can, you can't even really take the Lego analogy because if you, if you say, well, I can make plastic, yeah. But what about the chemicals that made the plastic? And, oh, well, yeah, we can synthesize that, yeah. But didn't you have to use something to start with? No matter what, there's, there's not a scientist in the world that takes a chamber of vacuum with nothing in it and suddenly speaks into it and, and something exists, even of the most simplest kind. We don't do it that way, right? We lack that ability, but not God. So, so we lack something that we'll never have, and that is the ability to call things that are not as though they were. But you and I have Jesus Christ in our heart and life, and we can through Christ Jesus, be uh, with God, and, and we have that authority in Christ Jesus. Amen? Well, here they are. I want you to get this. The ten spies. I, want, I just listed these out. Here's, here's the report. I just kind of went through. The ten spies report. The people are strong. The cities are walled and very great. They're children of Anak. The giants are there. We are not able... Uh, to overcome it. They are stronger than we are. The land eats up its inhabitants. All the men are of great stature. They're giants. We were grasshoppers in our own sight and in their sight. Our wives and children will become a prey. And here's one of the interesting ones. Let us return to Egypt or die in the wilderness. 
Do you know those words? And we say life and death is in the power of the tongue. Do you realize that all ten spies and every single one of that group that was over the, the age of 40, every single one of them in that group that accepted that report, that whole generation, save Caleb and Joshua, every single one of them died in the wilderness. Not a one of them went over into the promise. But the people they said, your children are going to be a prey, they died in the wilderness, but guess what? Their children walked over into the promise. Yeah. Does speech, does your words have power and control? Yeah. Yeah. They do. They do. The, how, so how do you overcome that? Well, I want you to, I want you to hear jo- uh, Joshua and Caleb's words. Let us go at once. We are well able to overcome it. The land is good. If the Lord delights in us, God will bring us in and deliver us. They are bread for us. Remember they said, that, hey, this is a land that devours it. Caleb says, hey, they're bread. Those giants, that, that's just more meat for us to eat. They're bread for us. There is nothing. That whole place is going to be destroyed. He says, uh, you know, they said high walls. He said they've got no defense. That's his words. They have no defense. The Lord is with us. Fear them not. Wow. That's Caleb's word over all this rejection, over all this rejection of God. Caleb saying, hey, if God said it, I believe it, and that sells it. There's nothing about it. If, if God says that he's going to deliver the land into our hands, it doesn't matter what giant in hell coming out of there that God is going to deliver us. It, that's it. It settles it. It's over that he is going to be able to deliver us. And we've got to have that faith inside of us. But you don't get that overnight. As a matter of fact, you have to train yourself not to allow yourself to constantly be bombarding yourself with negative thoughts. You have to train that in your life. You have to catch yourself and guard yourself when fear rises up and anxiety rises up. You know, the fact that it happens isn't the problem. The fact that you allow it to remain is the problem. The fact that you, that you allow yourself, because some of you are going through some major stuff. Some of you are going through stuff that, that when you hear those words, it causes you to cringe. It causes you... To, to have anxiety. It causes you to have fear. It causes a lot of different things build up inside of you. But you have authority and power to cast those things down. You have the authority in Christ Jesus not to wrestle with flesh and blood, but to recognize that those things that are happening in the Spirit, that you can cast them down. That you can, every, the Bible says, every, every thought that acknowledges itself Every, you, you can take captive every thought that would acknowledge itself against the knowledge of Christ, that, that tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of Christ. You can take it captive. You can choose to say, I'm not going to allow that to define me or to, to rule me or to run my life. I know that if God is for us, then who could be against us? I know that we are more than conquerors, and there is nothing that I cannot do in Christ Jesus. And if he's promised me that I'm going to get the Canaan land, then... I know I'm going to get Canaan land. If he's promised me that I'm going to take that mountain, I know that I'm going to take that mountain. I want two thoughts to to just be uh, poured out in your mind. I want two thoughts to to really go. I I, I had uh, one one thing before I start those points. I, I I want to tell your attitude. We're talking about negativity. It's all part of your makeup, your, your attitude, how you, how you respond, how you react, uh, how you do things. Now, man, I'll tell you what. God has been speaking to me all week because, I mean, some of you know me well enough to know. I mean, you know, that initial reaction that you have when you hear something that, that is not what you expected, you know, you, your initial knee-jerk reaction sometimes is, you know, that pushback or that, whoa, wait a minute. But we have a check in our spirit, the Holy Spirit, to say no. You know, that's not how you should respond. It's not how you should act. It can calm you. It can, it can cause you to say, okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold up. Hold up. Before I get myself in trouble. Anybody, uh, you know, gotten yourself in trouble by the words you speak? <laughs> yeah, open mouth, insert foot. Yeah, been there. Been there, done that. Right? Oh, 
your attitude should be a reflection of your faith. Your attitude should be a reflection of your faith. See, your attitude doesn't control your faith. Your faith should control your attitude. What's going on on the inside ought to take root and cause your flesh and your mind to submit to the will of God. And sometimes we, we get that backwards. As a matter of fact, that's why I think a lot of people struggle going back and forth in their faith. They're up and down and up and down and up and down because they're allowing their, their surrounding circumstances and everything around them to control how they feel about their faith instead of saying, this is my faith and I am firm and committed in my, in my understanding of who Christ is, and even though this world is constantly changing around me and things are happening around me, I know my faith hasn't changed. And so my attitude towards these things, these circumstances, it doesn't have to change, not one bit. It can stay just the same. I can trust in Him. So your attitude should be a reflection of your faith. And so you're, you're, you're asking God, say, you know, Asking God, God, allow my response to this life to be a reflection of who you are. That's exactly how, I mean, you, you saw the Pharisees all the time. The Pharisees were just appalled by everything that happened. And I can't believe this is going on. And did you see that woman that was with Jesus? And did you see what he is? Oh, my, Jesus is healing on the Sabbath. And, I mean, everything was just a reaction. I'll tell you what, sometimes if we're not careful, I know I've been here, if we're not careful, we turn into those Pharisees, that negativity. We're saying everything bad about everything that's happening. We're looking at all this, this negative. This isn't what I think should happen. This, 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 this. And suddenly, man, we're just pouring negativity in. And we're just allowing all that stuff to just rule and reign over our lives and direct and pour out everything. But Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus would look at situations. He wouldn't react. He would respond. His attitude sometimes, sometimes he said things that they didn't need to hear or they didn't want to hear, but they sure needed to hear. It didn't mean that everything was positive in that sense, but everything that Jesus said had, had the right kind of response. Why? Because it was directed by the Father. It was directed by God. He had surrendered fully to Him. He was God in the flesh. He was there. And when He was making His statements, they were godly statements. They weren't something that He was just bombarding His own mind with and choosing to say out of His own heart and mind. And the, that's the difference between Him and the Pharisees. Because even though Jesus still did all the same things that they did, yet His response to things was so different. That's why he could talk to a woman at the well who none of the other Jews were going to talk to because she was an outcast. She wasn't worthy. There was no way that a Jew would talk to a woman and especially not a woman of her reputation and especially not someone who looks different than they did. Uh, you know, and boy, I'll tell you what, if we're not careful, that's exactly what the church has become today. The most segregated time in the, in the, the week is during the church, during Sunday church service. Isn't that amazing? that the most segregated time of the week is during a Sunday morning church, that's not the church of God. If you're looking for a church that's all white or you're looking for a church that's all black or you're looking for a church that's all Hispanic or looking for you know, something like that, then, you, then let me just tell you something. You're going to be really disappointed when you get to heaven because every tribe, nation, tongue is present there. Every single one of them are there. And they may not worship like I do, but when we get in the presence of God, let me tell you what, we're going to fall down at His feet. We're all going to feel that same awe inside of us. Why? Because He created us in His image. He created us in His image. Red, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in His sight. Yes, you may have that. that that's, that's obviously a negativity that rises up in some of, us, some of us. We've got that maybe from our past. We've got it from our parents. We've got it from different places. But let me just tell you, if you've got that inside of you and you, and you every time you see someone that doesn't look like you, you just the negativity comes up and uh, I bet they're just something this or that or the other and you start labeling them, just know that nothing's wrong with them. It's something wrong with you. And begin to pray and say, God, help me to have the right spirit. Now, remember, I told you, I promised you a long time ago that not every message I preached was going to be nice and, and wouldn't step on your toes, okay? So I just want you to know that, okay? <laughs> yeah? I, I told you that not every message was going to be what you wanted to hear. But sometimes it's what we need to hear. Yeah. Because just because someone doesn't look like me or doesn't talk like me doesn't mean that they can't receive the same thing I've got inside of me, that they can't have the Holy Spirit. 
they too were created in the image of God. Wow. It changes my perspective. It changes how I think about things and how I look at things and, and how I react to people. And so I choose not to react to them. Because I'll just be honest with you, there are situations, there are things that I run into that my first reaction is to be standoffish, to back up, to, to think about it. But I still have to pray and say, God, help me not to react, but respond. The same thing goes today. Boy, I'll, I'll tell you what, here's one. Here's one that'll, that'll uh, uh, get people uh, upset and mad today. Just, I just want to be an equal opportunity offender. Uh, you walk up to somebody... And they don't use the right bathroom. How are you going to react? Or are you going to react or are you going to respond? Now, I'll just be honest with you. My reaction is not too godly. <laughs> right? My reaction is not too godly. Oh, Lord, help me. That's when I, when I you know when I'm not in the spirit because then I start, I'm so glad we got concealed carry license. Yeah, amen, you know, that's, that's, but I also know that my response ought to, when Jesus walked up to that woman who had committed adultery, she was caught in the very act, he didn't, he didn't condone her sin, he didn't say to her, go out, find someone else to be with, and just continue living your lifestyle, you're okay that way, it's all right, just make sure you believe in me. Say, say a prayer each time before you eat. and you know, Make sure you, you go to church on Sunday, but don't worry about it, go live in adultery. He didn't say that. But you know what he did do? He didn't react like the Pharisees did. He showed her love and compassion. He cared for her. He didn't react to her situation. He responded to her situation with the only thing that was going to help her, himself. He came to her and offered forgiveness and salvation. Not on her terms. And that's what the world wants today. The world, the world today is asking you to give them salvation. They want salvation, but they want it on their terms, not God's terms. There's a difference. But we still ought to respond even to someone homosexual or adulterer. It doesn't matter. Thief, you know, rapist, pedophile, repulsive reactions, reaching for my gun, right? But my response ought to still be that that person was created in the image of God. It doesn't mean that I just set aside, you no, know, there's still laws, and there's, I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about my reaction to them in a very personal way ought to be one that ought to point them to Christ Jesus and let them know that you're not too far gone, that you can turn to Christ Jesus. Someone's a pedophile and they get saved, you better believe, I'm not going to have them around my kiddos, they ain't going to be around my niece and nephew and all that. But you better believe I'm going to believe that they can have salvation, that they can, you know, I mean, I'm going to believe that they can get saved, that they can come to Jesus, that they can have salvation. But it's not on their terms. It's on God's terms. We don't get to choose it our way. We have to, we have to choose it His way. Amen? But how we react to that situation. I love Caleb. Here's these, here's these two things. First, Negativity. Now, don't get too negative. I know it's approaching 12. First thing, your negativity is contagious. A lot of times we get stuck in a, in a we want to have a pity party. We want to, I mean, but man, let me tell you something. Nothing spreads like negativity. You start saying something negative about your brother and sister. You start talking about this, that, and the other, and all these different things. And, and, I mean, I'll tell you what, it spreads like wildfire. Man, I mean, it just starts to morph and turn into things. And sooner or later, even if what you were saying was true, sooner or later, man, I'm telling you what, suddenly it's turned into gossip. It's morphed into some weird 
form, you know, and now you're, you know, I mean, something that started off really simple has become something really huge, and it is contagious. Uh, Literally, ten spies come back, and their report takes the whole nation and keeps them from entering into the promise of God. Could you believe that your negativity, see, your your negativity is never going to keep God's Word from coming true. God's Word is going to stand forever. But your negativity may very well keep you from seeing it. Wow. Your negativity may very well be the thing that causes you not to see the promise of God in your life. Maybe it is your kids that see that promise. Maybe it is your, you know, whatever that promise is, whatever that thing that God has told you that looks overwhelming and you see it and all you can see is the giants and all you can see is the walls and all you can see is all the the things that are going to keep you from the word of God. Let me tell you what, for 400 years, Satan had been setting up landmines in the, in the area. He had been building up giants, he had been building up walls, he had been building up a fortress, and he was defying the armies of the living God. He was defying uh, uh, God. He was defying God for 400 years by saying, okay, let's see Abraham's promise come to truth now. Let's see the promise that God has given Abraham. Let's see it come to fruition right now. Let's see him do it. I believe that it was, that was direct defiance of the Word of God. I think Satan knew exactly what he was trying to do. Sure. But I think God was just laughing. I think God was just looking at it, looking at all those little kingdoms and nations and them going around and building their walls so thick that chariots could drive on the tops of them, build them so, so thick that nobody could, could possibly penetrate them. And I believe that just like it says in Psalms, the second chapter, he laughed. Matter of fact, let me turn there. Psalm, the second chapter. Listen to what it says. Why do the heavens rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. That's Jesus saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away the cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh and the Lord shall have them in derision. Satan was at work for 400 years building up walls, building up giants, doing everything he could to keep Israel out of the land. But all they had to do was claim the promise of the Father. All they had to do was say, yes, God, I receive it. See, that negativity spread and literally thousands upon thousands of people that that could have entered the promised land, could have seen the promises of God, could have seen the promises of Abraham. They all missed out. Why? Because of a negative word, because of a negative report. The promise had already been given. They were already told before they ever went into the land, it is yours. Go and take it. It is yours. But what did they do? They sat back. They listened to the evil report. Listen to Joshua, the second chapter, verses 9 and 11. Now they send a new set of spies out. Joshua, the second chapter. They send a new group of spies back. And these, this time it was just two, and they run into a lady named Rahab. Now, I want you to get this. This is great. Because remember what they said. They said, uh, the Anak there, the giants are there. We're not able. They're stronger than us. Hey, we look like grasshoppers in our eyes, but guess what? They think we look like grasshoppers. That's what it said earlier in Numbers, right? I'm just reading you some of the evil report. They said, they think we look like grasshoppers in their sight. They just squash us like bugs. That's what they're saying. But listen to what Rahab... Now, this is the report from the people who live on the inside. Oh. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came up out of Egypt and what he did to the two kings of the Amorites and that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in the earth beneath, You know, the Bible says that the demons tremble 
at the name of Jesus, that the demons are in fear. See, you've been building up demons. You've been putting them up in a pedestal. You've been looking at giants and saying that all these things, people can speak things over my life and people can say this over me. They have no power over you except what you give them because in the name of Jesus you are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ and there is no authority. There is no, they have no power over you. I would say to you that some of you, you, you have, you, you are good with attitudes and you are good with, with reacting and responding. But some of you have this idea that other people are allowed to speak into your life. And so if they say something negative to you, it's going to impact everything in you. But I, that, I do believe that you can allow that to happen. But I believe you have authority and power over what comes into your heart and life. And God has given it to you. And you can choose to say, I will not allow that thought to settle in my mind. But I am giving it over to Jesus Christ in the, in the name of the Lord. I am giving it over to Him. I will not allow my mind and my heart to meditate on things that God didn't say. I'm not going to allow myself to, to believe that Satan has power over me or control over me. If someone needs to hear this today. Satan has no power over you or control over you. I'm telling you, he has no. you need to claim that over your children. You need to claim that over your family. You need to claim that over your spouse. That he has no authority in your life. Except what you have given him. The only reason he's coming in is if you're, if you're opening up the door and saying, come on in. Because if you're a child of the king, he doesn't belong there. He's not welcome there. And you have that authority to, to call those things. Can you believe? See, that's the second thing I want to give you. Is negativity will cause you to overestimate your enemy. Your negativity will cause you to make your giants really big. Your negativity will cause you to make those walls look really thick. Your negativity will cause you to believe that there's no way you can overcome even though Christ has said it, even though God... What you got to do is emphasize your God. And if you'll emphasize God and begin to praise Him and lift Him up and put Him where He belongs, well, guess what happens? When you emphasize your God, your giants are going to get really small. When you start emphasizing God... Suddenly, in the presence of Almighty God, those giants are going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. So what is your giant? What is your wall? What is it that you're coming up against? I want to close. Uh, If the worship team will come, I just want want to encourage you today to recognize that you do not have to receive that word, that report, that, that claim. You know, some of you got the doctor's report and he's telling you this is what it says. And it's what it says. It is what it is. The doctors, that's what the doctor gave you. But some of you need to recognize that that's not what God says about you. That's not what God says about you. He says you're healed. He says you're healed. We need to walk in faith. It's not my decision to choose how healing happens, when healing happens, what, how, how it takes place. It's not my decision. It is not my decision to decide for God how things are going to take place. But it is my choice and my desire to lift up the name of God, to lift up the word of God, to trust the word of God, to know that if he said it, I'm going to believe it. I don't know how it's all going to happen. I don't know how it's all going to work out. I don't know the way God's going to choose to do it. But I do know that he said, by his stripes we are healed. I do know that he said that there there is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful and will not tempt you above that which you are able, but will with that temptation make a way of escape that you are able to bear I do know that God said that, that, there, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I do know that I, ha- that I walk in the Spirit, and I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I do know that the Bible tells me that I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. I, I know those things to be at the core of me, and I, I believe that, and so I'm going to confess that. And when the trials come, when the doctor tells me something I didn't want to hear... I'm just going to begin to praise God because the solution was already bought and paid for. Do I pray? Absolutely. Absolutely I pray. But when I start getting overwhelmed, that's when I praise. 
when you begin to pray and Satan begins to come at you and Satan begins to tell you that those walls are way too big, that there's no way, you know, there's no way you can overcome that. There's no, there, there's nothing in, in your life that you're, there's no way you're going to be able to get better. There's no way that you're going to, you know, th- there's no, no doctor on this earth that can solve that kind of problem. I'm, I'm in a room with people that have heard testimonies, different testimonies and, and I'll, yeah, I, mean, I don't know where Mandy, yeah, uh, Mandy, I don't know where she's at. Yeah, she's with her baby, I guess. Yeah, you know what? I, I know different testimonies from you of miracles where the doctor said there was no hope that we have come to the end of our knowledge, but you trusted in the Lord and he was able to deliver you. So when the doctor comes in with a report, you just let him know, I know that's the doctor's report, but I know what my God's report is and I'm going to choose to believe his report. Isaiah 53, who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before us as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form, no comeliness, no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That sounds pretty negative, doesn't it? Well, coming at Jesus his whole life, we esteem him stricken, smitten of God. Yet, you remember at the beginning of this, I told you that those buts and howevers and neverthelesses, Well, here's one that's backwards. He was despised and rejected of men, man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Yep, pretty negative, pretty bleak. But he was bruised, but he was bruised for our transgressions. Yeah, <laughs> chastised for our peace. Yeah. In that same passage it says, by his stripes... We are healed. We have salvation. We have healing. Isn't it something? God just flips it over. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say like this. He who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God through him. Wow. Would you stand? We were at graduation for Harris Schools on Thursday. And I noticed something about these young people. Some of us remember what it was like to be young. Some of us are still young, right? I was told officially that I'm not really old until I'm 40. My daughter told me that. Thank you, thank you. So I'm I'm feeling very good about that until October. And then, unfortunately, I'll, I'll step over the line. I'll no longer be young. That, that's what that, that came from her, so I'm just, you know, for, for at least the next few months, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> no, actually, I'm thinking, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. <laughs> oh, get this. These, these graduates, some of you remember this. You know, they had, they had 16 valedictorians, you know. I'd never seen, like, 16. Is that even possible? You know, I'm thinking, how did, how did they do that, you know. Well, anyways, so they're getting up to do their speeches, and they're doing quite a few of them. They didn't have all 16, but they did quite a few speeches. And you know, something I remembered, and you probably get this every graduation, is something that's there, and young people, you may want to close your ears on this, but, but you know, you, you start to listen to them, and man, I'll tell you what, they're excited, and they're, they're ready to take the world, and I mean, they're, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna do it. They're going to conquer, man. They're, they're going out into the world ready to go, gung-ho. I, and so you, you start listening. As you get older, you start listening to these, these speeches, and you kind of start to feel that negativity rise up in you and you get you're thinking yeah they're just naive you're probably right right they're a little naive they haven't got their feet wet yet wait till they get in the real world right and then they experience the real world and what the real world has to offer now you know i'll, I'll be honest with you god caleb was given his graduation speech he was He looked naive to those other ten. He looked naive to the millions that stood before him. He looked like just a young buck that didn't know what he was talking about. And he obviously hadn't been squashed by giants. He hadn't seen what some of them had seen. He hadn't seen families being killed and bruised and and, and destroyed and things happening. And so obviously Caleb, he must have just been naive to believe that God was going to deliver them. They, They knew better than that. 
if we're not careful, we'll get that same spirit. If we're not careful. But can I tell you today that it doesn't matter if you're 90, 100 years old. It doesn't matter how old you are in this house today. You can have a spirit just like Caleb. That says, you know what? When it comes to the things of God. I'm going to choose to be naive. I'm going to choose to say I trust God. I'm going to choose to to stand firm on His Word. I'm going to choose to believe what He says and take Him at His Word, even if it seems contrary to what I think ought to happen or even what my experiences have told me in the past. I'm going to choose to be just like Caleb and Joshua, and I'm going to choose to stand on the Word of God. In Joshua, the 14th chapter, Caleb goes back. He's in the promised land. Him and Joshua, the only ones of that older generation. He is 85 years old. 85 years old. And you know what he says? Give me that mountain. God said I was going to get that mountain. And for 40 years I've been chomping at the bit. And we have come in, we've come in here and we have taken this land just as He promised. And I'm 85 years old, but you better believe I've got the same strength I had when I was 40. And just like I said, we could take them then, we're going to take them now. And I don't care that these, are, these Anak and these giants are from Satan himself. I don't care that they're from fallen angels. I don't care if they're supernatural. I don't care if they have power because they got no power under the mighty anointing of God. Because it's not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the Lord and so Caleb knew that I could take this mountain and at 85 years old he led the charge I believe in this when I pray over this church I believe that our church can be led and and reach the next generation and I believe that we can reach out and reach the next generation this, the young people, and I, I believe that we can have our older generation who saw mighty outpourings of the Holy Spirit in these altars, who saw blood, I mean, they, they saw literally blood, sweat, and tears. They saw things happen. They saw mighty moves of God. But I believe that they can have a spirit like Caleb that says, you know what? The promises of God aren't just for us. And it wasn't just for our generation. But it's for this next generation too. And I believe that they can lead the charge. I believe that they they don't have to be looking at at young people and saying, well, they're just this and that and the other. And they're sure naive because I know the church and I know how this goes and that goes. And I know what goes on. But they can look at them and say, you know what? I see the spirit of God. It has the potential to rise up inside of our young people and allow them to lead and move and work. And I believe that even even our elders in the church will be leaders in this church moving us forward for the gospel of Jesus Christ.